Welcome to 30 Minutes to Wealth, the show that teaches you how to build wealth through real estate. Our company, ProFunds Mortgages, has assisted real estate investors in achieving wealth for over two decades. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to share some of our key strategies in real estate with you, right here on 30 Minutes to Wealth. Hi, I'm Carmen and this is Jordan. Welcome to 30 Minutes to Wealth. The show that teaches you how to build wealth through real estate. Today we have a very informative show lined up discussing pre-construction legal advice. We're happy to have Bilal and Maria on the show from Simpson Weigel. Guys, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. I want to make a special thanks or put out a special thanks to Simpson Weigel. They've been sponsoring our show 30 Minutes to Wealth now for three years and we're so grateful for that. Uh, we also have a very strong working relationship with the company. Uh, I think we send the majority of our business to, to Simpson Weigel and Hussein, who also works with you. So thank you. Just want to say that before we get started. It's our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank <laughs> yeah. you guys so much. Today's going to be really interesting. We're talking about you know investing in pre-construction condos and really what people should be aware of from a legal perspective. You know before getting started and making sure that all of your contracts are in order. So it's going to be really really informative. Mm -hmm. But to start, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got started in this space. Sure. Um, so my my professional story starts at McMaster. I did my undergrad there for four years. Then after that. I moved to Windsor, went to law school. Um, I actually then moved to Toronto to do articling uh, and then moved back to Hamilton. Oh my. <laughs> I know, uh, to settle at Simpson Wago, which is a fantastic home to settle at. So yeah. I've been there for about 10 years and um, I'm a partner and the chair of the condo practice group at the firm, wow. which has about 10 lawyers. Um, and we do everything from development to employment law related matters, mm -hmm. um, human rights issues, construction, yeah. uh, mediation, arbitration. So it's, uh, it's a really nice team. Excellent. That's great. Bilal? Great. So uh, I'm uh, originally from Pakistan. Right. And uh, I got my law degrees um, from England about 12, 13 years ago now, a bachelor's and uh, LLM degree. Uh, practiced in Pakistan for about six, seven years. And I've been in Ontario for seven years practicing here. Mm -hmm. um, I predominantly practice in the areas of uh, land development, real estate, and condominium with uh, Maria and awesome. some other lawyers at our office in, in that group. Um, and I've been at the firm Simpson Weigel forever. It's been a year, and it's uh, been a great year so far. Working yeah, with the, the great Land people there. Yes. Yeah, for yes. sure. Yeah. Very great people there. Well, this is going to be a great show um, because there's so much information to share because condo, pre-construction condos is huge. Very big really right is. now. Yeah. Like yeah. Everybody's, yeah. like, they're lining up, selling out, and... Mm -hmm. People need to know what to be cautious of, mm -hmm. right? So we can't wait to uh, share with our viewers your knowledge and expertise on what to look for. And I thought what would be good is we just start from the very beginning. Like you're in the condo uh, sales center and exactly. you've got all these amazing things. And, oh, my gosh, you want to buy it. Um, there's so much money being made in that industry because prices are increasing like crazy. Well, that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a good entry point um, for people who want to buy who maybe can't afford you know, these condos once already developed, they can get in a little bit cheaper and mm -hmm. then make make a lot of equity there mm -hmm. and hopefully with the appreciation. So it is definitely a hot topic. Yes. But people do need to know what to be aware of yeah. before getting into these agreements. Absolutely. And it's, it's 
it's interesting because you go into the service, um, I guess the showroom where you have everything and everything looks fantastic, uh, right. as it should. Yeah, and it's very sure. exciting, especially if it's your yeah. first purchase ever. Um, yeah. But so when you go in, you kind of look at the layout of the different units and you choose, you know, I like option A or option B, and then hopefully you'll sign an agreement to purchase and sale. Um, so at the, at the same time that you sign that agreement, you get a disclosure package, which is a fairly hefty package, mm -hmm. um, which has the declaration, the bylaws, the rules of the condo. And then from that point, after you sign off for both documents, you have 10 days to review them. Um, so we always recommend the best thing to do is go to your lawyer, your real estate lawyer, to review these documents. Because it's so important to understand the community you're buying into. Is it mm -hmm. what you want to live in? Yeah. Um, are there restrictions that going, are going to impact the way you live and um, what your priorities are? So, right. But you do have 10 days. And then if you're not happy with something, so let's say perhaps you can't lease your unit for whatever reason. You can get out within those 10 days, no questions asked. Right. Um, and that's 10 days, no questions asked. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess my question would be for, for the investors that are buying this, what are the key things that you see in contracts? Like, are there often things hidden in there deliberately? Like, I've, I've seen a lot myself yeah. over the years, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, what is in there that you would really, well, first of all, they need to come and see you. And I'm sure a lot of people don't. They don't go to their lawyer. They just. Yeah. <laughs> now, a question: If the ten days passes, are you firm? If you you're don't firm, yeah. So, so yeah, if you mm. don't acknowledge anything, you're you're firm. And it's unfortunate for our office when we get a purchaser come in on that eleventh or twelfth oh, day, no. and we can't do anything for you because um, there's a lot you can do with that agreement. Um, one being the adjustments. Right. So but with the statutory cooling off period, you have 10 calendar days in which you can walk away from the agreement if you find something in there which is not to your liking. And it's very important to review the agreement in detail. And you raise a good point, Carmen, about the agreement itself, because many agreements in Ontario, they're standardized. Like the, when you're buying a resale, for example, it's an OREA form. Yeah. They're very easy to read. You, you know what's in there, standard forms. Mm -hmm. right. But when you're dealing with builder forms, they're unique. They're different for every project. Every builder would have their own forms. Yes. And they're very dense documents. And they also come with these disclosure documents, which is maybe at least a few hundred pages. This when we're looking at yeah. them. Yeah, it's overwhelming, it actually, is. for it me. Is. Even I'm yeah. in the business. Um, and I, I've seen some of those documents that come in. It's holy moly, you got to read that. They could change right. one little line somewhere. Yeah. So you guys got to thoroughly go through that. Yeah. There is some regulation there. There is a, there's a body in Ontario, Tarion, under the Ontario New Home Warranty Plan Act, mm -hmm. which regulates new builds and, and builders uh, which construct new build residential condos. Uh, so there is some standardization in, in the sense that the law requires there to be a, uh, a, an addendum attached to each new build agreement, which is standard. Mm -hmm. And what's good about that is that the law also says that this prevails over the builder's agreement form. Mm -hmm. So these standard provisions in this addendum, which is normally tucked away at the back of the agreement, actually prevails and supersedes the builder's form. Really? So it's very good to, re to read that document. It would set out very Im important information as to what your closing date could be, what can it be extended to, and which happens quite often, of course, yeah, with the new builds. You, you're always looking at extensions and delays for you know, various reasons. So it can it'll set out all the delayed dates on which the builder could close. It could it would set out where the property is located. So there's a lot of information in there, which which is it's good to read that in conjunction with the agreement and and the disclosure documents. Well, you're on the um, extension 
discussion here. Is there a limit of how many times they can extend? Uh, how does that work? There is a limit. So first, there's uh, the one thing that uh, prospective purchasers need to understand is that the first occupancy date is tentative. It's actually called tentative um, because it could be delayed uh, two, three times um, so long as the developer follows the regulations with mm -hmm. giving the proper notice. Mm -hmm. So the first date is ultimately the date the developer also wants to um, close on because yes. it's in their interest to have this development created, mm -hmm. registered, and out of their hands. Yes. Um, but if they do give the date, there's the outside occupancy date, which is the latest at which point the unit could close for occupancy. Occupancy being the owner can go and live there. They don't actually own title, so they can't mortgage it at oh, that wow. point. But, but they, they could live there. They could live there and then pay occupancy fee, which is kind of like a rent yep. uh, for that period of time, which is not applied towards the purchase price ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, and then if it goes beyond that firm occupancy date, then the purchaser can uh, terminate the agreement. Uh, if they wish. So what's like the longest kind of occupancy date that we've seen? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I've seen five, six years. What? Um, and, yeah. that, and they're allowed to do that? They are Crazy. as long as they follow the proper procedures. Yeah. So what is there a maximum time of developers allowed to insert in his contract? Could it be 10 years? Or? There is, uh, like Maria pointed out, there's an outside occupancy date. Like that's, that's the, the final date by which if you haven't given uh, occupation or if you haven't completed the construction, then the buyer has the right, the statutory right, to terminate the agreement, get all the deposits back, also get interest on those deposits. Okay. But it's it's very important to keep those dates in mind because that mm -hmm. termination right only it comes up on that date. It expires in 30 days under the law. Mm. So if you don't exercise the right within those 30 days. You can be waiting. So, you know, your right to termination may also... Yeah. It might not be so, such a bad thing because the values of real estate just keep increasing and right. you have that right. deposit in, so okay. But if you want to live there and that's your plan, it might be a different story from an investment standpoint versus owner-occupancy. Yeah, so is there a maximum? No, as long as it's disclosed, it's really whatever up to... Whatever's in the contract. Yeah, and it's whatever you agree to the time of signing. Now, are there any other conditions in the contracts that, um, you know, purchasers should be aware of and, you know, you know, which conditions are to their benefit versus to the developers? Sure. So um, the agreement of purchase and sale and the tarry-on form is essentially a negotiated um, instrument. So mm -hmm. there are conditions that are for the purchaser's benefit and some for the vendors or for the developers. Um, the purchaser may put that it's subject to obtaining financing. Um, yeah. The vendor might put something, and the most typical ones are that they sell a minimum number of units by a specific time, that they obtain necessary financing to complete the development, um, and that perhaps that they can uh, satisfy all the conditions from the municipality to build a development. Oh. So, uh, so they can sell before having approvals? Uh, no, no, but they have to get certain approvals to be able to close and actually give you title I see, yes. uh, at the end of the day. So you have to use reasonable efforts. Both the purchaser and the vendor and developer have to use reasonable efforts to satisfy these conditions. So okay. you can't just sit and say, well, I'm not going to try to sell X number of units and then just start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, you have to use reasonable efforts. And if you do, but you still fail to satisfy the conditions, you can get out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But a good point to, on that also is that it's very important, Mariela, to um, diarize those dates because you, you want to make sure, because some of these dates might be months or years out, 
So you, you want to make sure that you know when those dates are coming up. If there's something that, let's say, you as a uh, potential buyer uh, have to complete or satisfy, uh, you, you have those, you've taken those steps ahead of that condition date in order to waive, let's say, financing condition, for example, mm -hmm. for a buyer. Mm -hmm. uh, and things change. When, when you buy an uh, sign an agreement, for example, it might be two or three years before you actually close on that condo. So you might be pre-approved at the time you, let's say, sign the agreement. You might have some sort of a letter from a bank saying that you're pre-approved. But you know, circumstances change. So you want to make sure that you're not still going by that pre-approval you had three years oh, ago. Yeah. You want to make that. sure that at the time of closing, you still have the financing available to close. And that happens all the time. We deal with that oh, yeah. at times. Oh, uh, so. we do too. Uh, we're out of time right now. We're, we have to go to break. So let's hold that thought. We've got so much more to talk about. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Jordan, this is Carmen. Welcome back to 30 Minutes to Wealth. We're here with our guests Maria and Bilal, and we're just talking about pre-construction condos and really what to look for from a legal perspective, which I think is so important. Um, Bilal, just picking back up into things, what do you recommend for purchasers, um, you know, going through this process and just making sure that they're not spending more than they need to when coming into these agreements? That's a good question. So uh, we've been noticed quite a lot when we're reviewing agreements, uh, pre-construction condominium agreements, that there's a fairly detailed clause in there which deals with adjustments to the purchase price mm -hmm. at the time you close. So this, these are um, various things that you can are actually in the agreement, uh, but these are all things which would be um, adjusted for the purchase price. They could be things like um, development charges, for example, that the developer is having to pay um, the various other things, including, of course, the deposits that you've paid up front. They're also adjusted. It's very important for purchasers to read these adjustments uh, in detail. They're set out in two different places in these agreements uh, to make sure that, number one, what are these adjustments? Because when, when you sign off on the agreement, it's firm and binding, and you're having to adjust for all these items at closing. And at, at times, it, it could be a significant amount that you're having to adjust to. Well, and you, you haven't really charges are huge. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there have been cases we've seen where there can be up to five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 easily that the purchaser is having to pay, in addition to the purchase price at closing, where you know for the agreement was signed, let's say, three or four years before the deal actually closed. So all increases in levies, for example, development charges, educational levies, et cetera, have been passed on to the buyer mm -hmm. in that case. What we normally recommend in that case, of course, is that all is a good idea to review these, understand what these are, and try and perhaps negotiate if you're still in that cooling off period, like Maria said. I was going to ask you that. Is it negotiable ever? It, 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 it is. Because yes. yeah. it's a document. It's like any, it's an agreement. It's, yeah. uh, in many instances, we, we see that uh, builders, lawyers are open to ne negotiating these items. And at the very least, you want to cap them. Mm -hmm. So you, you know what your maximum liability would be on, the, yeah. on these items. And, which you have, happens yeah. often. and you have to be reasonable, right? Yes. Of course, there's some amount of cost that will be put onto you as a purchaser. Right. Uh, but it's reasonableness on both ends. Mm -hmm. And like Bilal said, you have to cash that during that 10-day period or else you're stuck with all of the adjustments. And even small things that isn't necessarily an adjustment, but um, that there's a time period by which you have to provide that you have satisfactory financing or a time frame by which you have to choose your finishes for your unit. Oh. So you don't want to miss these time frames or else there could be a charge of $150 if you're oh. past, the, past the time frame. Yeah, so, so just things that could add up if you're not absolutely. paying attention. And I would say 510 is is on the minimal side. We've seen up to 20, 30 grand 
brand. Um, so you really want to be careful with that. Yeah, I've never purchased a pre-construction condo myself mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. but I've seen some clients come in and the, and the challenges that they face. Yeah. And with their financing, they don't have that ready, right? They're pre-approved, but then they're coming mm-hmm. close to the time to close. And oh my goodness, their whole world changed. Yeah. And now they're not going to qualify. What happens then? Yes. Right? Yeah. So it's 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 uh it's very important for people to be prepared and understand this whole thing. So speaking about that, what if they can't get financing? Is there an exit for anybody or their firm they lose a deposit? How does that work? Uh well, first I would say it all depends on what's the wording in the agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally they would lose their deposits that they've made up to that point. Um mm-hmm. if they're at the point where they would be getting title, then they've probably put in a number of deposits, a couple hundred thousand I would expect. Uh but generally if they de- can't get the financing to close, then they could lose all their deposits. Um, Are they allowed to yeah. assign it to anybody else? That's yeah. a good question. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. uh, it's something that happens quite often, actually. Again, because there's such a long time between when you sign an agreement and actually close on, on this uh, condo. Circumstances change, but you might want to buy um, a condominium. A few years later, you find out that you know you want something else, or you know you, you want to move somewhere else, for example. So you're always looking to see if you're permitted to assign. So there's a, there's always an assignment clause in these agreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost always there is a consent requirement. You have to get the builder's consent. Okay. And there might also be a fee. And this this could be again um, we see anywhere between five to ten thousand dollars with Ooh. respect to assignment fees um, that you might have to pay as a buyer uh, to, if you're looking to assign before you actually close on the condo. But you could assign and actually s- assign for a profit. Which um, would be nice. Uh, well, again, depends on the terms of the agreement <laughs> because sometimes yeah. the developer doesn't want you to compete um, with the sales that he or she is also doing. Um, so it really depends. Maybe if you can do something privately, but you don't want to do anything on the market that competes with the developer. Right. Not right. list it, but, right. you, but right. maybe you yeah. know another investor friend right. that wants to pick mm-hmm. up yours right. and exactly. split the profit or something like that. That can happen. Right. right. Cause listing it is usually actually prohibited. It has to not be listed cause then you're competing with his or her right. units. Yes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, what other things can we think of that would yeah. be critical for people? Um, We've got such a short period of yeah. time, and I want to <laughs> yeah, squeeze as much out of you guys as we can. So, um, HST is another actually yeah. really big one. Um, so, with new houses or new newly built units, mm-hmm. also very um, uh, largely renovated homes, 90% of the unit has to be renovated for, to have an HST rebate component. Um, Purchasers, when they purchase their units, have an HST rebate, which they usually assign to the developer. And that rebate amount is then allocated towards the purchase price. So the purchase price is decreased. Okay. Uh, to qualify for the rebate, though, it's very specific. So uh, you have to use it for residential purposes. Um, and you have to do it immediate family members or yourself to qualify for it. So you cannot rent it? No. That would be a different kind of rebate. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it has to be very. You have to be very careful. We've um, acted for a developer in the past where they sold the unit. It was supposed to be for residential purposes, and uh, the individual during that occupancy period actually rented out their unit, which meant that the builder was no longer uh, would no longer qualify for the rebate, mm. and then the purchase price went up thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars because that was the rebate amount. Ah, so you have to be very careful when you uh, when you buy that, wow. and to make sure you qualify, you don't disqualify yourself. These are large amounts as well because there's a provincial component, there's a federal component to the HST. It could be at very least $24,000, I think, is what it is provincially. Yeah. In that vicinity is what you're looking at. So 
you want to make sure when you sign the agreement, there, there are very specific rules that the CRA also, also has, bulletins on, on this, as to how you qualify for the rebate. Because normally, like Maria pointed out, that rebate is actually built into the purchase price. Mm -hmm. So if you end up not mm -hmm. qualifying for it, when you close the transaction, again, your purchase price might jump up several tens of thousands of dollars. So what were the reasons why you wouldn't qualify if it's not owner-occupied? Yes. Is one, is there anything else? Um, so if it's if it's so it has to be newly built so that right away that's you have the check right there and it's funny enough mobile and floating homes also qualify for this wow. if you're interested so cottage country uh, but also it has to be a primary residence and used by immediate family so uh, it could be yourselves uh, you could uh, have your daughter living in there or your husband or anyone like that but uh, an, a nephew or a cousin would not qualify I see so it's very it's very strict okay yeah, interesting yeah that's good now what about people who are purchasing these with the intention of using them for short-term rentals because mm. I know there's mm. so much happening yes. in you know especially Toronto with lots of regulations yes. um, regarding that yes I mean with respect to short-term rentals it's really important to review the declaration and the rules of the condo or the mm -hmm. proposed rules in the declaration that you get with the disclosure statement um, because they'll set out whether you're allowed to lease or if there are any restrictions so mm. the key things to look at with respect to rental or leasing is are there any single family use provisions, which would mean that you can't lease to unrelated individuals um, or uh, students, for example, or short-term basis friends mm -hmm. coming staying for a weekend. Mm -hmm. Are there any minimum rental periods, maybe six months or a year? And I know that's pretty common for most of the condos yes. in Toronto. It is very common. I mean, we've seen a, a couple of issues in the news lately, so yes. it's something that a lot of condos are responding to. Well, you had that issue too, yeah. didn't you, with yeah, your condo? Yeah, I had the same exact thing oh, yes. happen. And I was renting it out short term, um, but my condo imposed yeah, a very strict six month policy. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, it does definitely affect things for investors, and it's important to know that going yeah. in, right? It is. And it's um, a lot of the condos also have provisions that say that if you lease or rent out your unit, the owner shouldn't be using the common elements. So, you wouldn't have access to a gym or a pool or a right. tennis court, for example. Because parking. Parking, exactly. Because the your condo is developed for a certain amount of occupants. And if you start doubling that, the wear and tear is there, mm -hmm. replacement mm -hmm. is a lot faster than you budgeted for, so mm -hmm. there's a reason for it as well. We, we were talking about warning clauses. Right. Right. What is that? Um, so at the time of the development, uh, the developer is required to satisfy certain conditions. And one of those conditions is usually the municipality or utility companies or, for example, CN Rail imposing onto the uh, developer the right or the requirement to include conditions in the agreement. So these conditions could be the fact that there might be a little bit of noise in the area because they're near a railway or on a major street. Yeah. Um, or maybe there won't be a individual drop-off of mail. We see a lot more uh, massive mailboxes now um, in one area, or yeah. maybe no some school buses in the area, so you'll have to actually drive your children to the school. Um, so these are things that impact owners personally right. on an everyday basis. So you have to make sure what these warning clauses are, do they affect you, and is this a community that you want to live in? Really, our investors or buyers, homeowners, really need to have a lawyer review their condo docs before they waste the day away, and next thing you know, they're stuck in a contract and they have no way of exiting. Absolutely. It's yeah. um, short-term pay for long-term gain. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And don't wait till the last minute. 
Bilal. Yes, yeah, so it ha- <laughs> happens all the time when they, you know you don't want to wait till the last day before the deadline yeah, to have yeah. somebody review these documents. There are a lot of documents. You know, yes. there's many hundred pages sometimes. <laughs> you you want to um, give your lawyer a head start to start reviewing these documents for you. What's the price to to have this reviewed? Um, so fees range depending on location and the lawyer you use, but on average, we're finding about twelve hundred dollars plus HST disbursement. Totally worth it. Yeah, to save you potentially hundreds of thousands or Absolutely. tens of thousands anyway. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. We thank you. We thank you for sponsoring. If any of the viewers are interested in learning a little bit more, you can contact Simpson Weigel for any of your condo-specific needs. As well, feel free to check out 30 Minutes to Wealth for all of our other episodes. That's it. Our time's up. Go create wealth.